0: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Margarita. Hello, everyone online. And to ask your forgiveness today, I'm going to read our scripture a little differently than what we might be used to on a Sunday morning. Sometimes we read and the reader falls into the pattern of church Sunday morning reading. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. But when I read this passage, I know Jesus led a sinful life. But if there was ever a time he was tempted to eye roll or side eye, I feel like this is the passage so I can't read it in the traditional church Sunday morning voice. So today's passage comes from John 8, chapter... Chapter 8, verses 12 through 30, we're in the New International Version. Um, dear God, I pray as we listen to your word that you would open our hearts and minds and just feel you, Jesus, breathing these words, speaking these words out, Lord, not meekly but boldly in Jesus' name. In your name. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said... I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. Or I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me." Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him, because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me. And you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Margarita, for reading scripture. Now it's my pleasure to introduce um, our uh, guest speaker for this morning, uh, Polly uh, Jarioka, And I know her for... uh, yeah, a few years now we met on one of the, uh, Pivot Northwest, uh, um, uh, conference they were doing, uh, Pivot. If you guys know, they were doing research about why the young adults are not coming to church anymore. And, uh, just seeing her, how she was passionate about, you know, mentoring and disciple young adults. She is the director of the, uh, Uh, Young professional and Young Adults uh, Ministry at UPC, uh, uh, University of Presbyterian Church. So uh, we just welcome, give a a warm welcome to uh, Polly this morning. So.
1: Thanks. (laughs) All right take this mask off. Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me here today. It's really a deep joy for me to join you in worship today, both uh, those of you who are here in person and those who are worshiping online. Since many of us haven't met, although some of us have, it's nice to see some familiar faces here. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, I went to college at the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma, which is where I met Pastor Dave Sim when I was a freshman in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and he was our campus staff worker. Dave was a mentor to me and my friends throughout college, and um, so his influence really meant a lot to me. It's kind of a funny memory that I have, but um, when I was in college, I made friends with a group of uh, Hawaii kids. I'm not from Hawaii, I'm actually from here, just down the street, like just down 164th in Mill Creek. So I am not from Hawaii, although my family, some of my family, is from there. But I had all these Hawaii kid friends, and there were a group of us who came to Intervarsity that year, and we were all freshmen together. And Dave like asked to mentor us as a group. And I remember he told us partway into the year, like, I was praying for you before this year even started. I was praying that God would bring a group of like Asian American students to come, and you were the answer to those prayers. And he brought you here for a reason. And I remember as a fresh that meant so much to me that God was moving behind the scenes that someone was praying for me even before I had come there and um, yeah, that really impacted me and I think set me on the course of life uh, in the direction that I'm going now, which is uh, I work at uh, university Presbyterian church with the young adults. And um, yeah, I've been basically doing ministry ever, ever since college. And um, I'm really grateful to have had mentors that invested in me so well when I was young. So Renew has a special place in my heart. It's also the first place that I was ever invited to preach. Um, I remember like, gosh, this was probably like eight, nine years ago, I can't remember when, but I was invited to preach here at your old uh, location. And I remember being so honored and I thought, oh, wow, I can't believe I am being invited to share the word. And once again, it was one of those moments where God used, your community used Pastor Dave to really affirm that God has given something for me to say. Like I have a voice that matters and that, that has really meant a lot to me. So thank you for having me here today and yeah it's also been a pleasure in these more recent years to partner together with Renew with young adults we've had a lot of fun activities that our young adults have done together and just getting to know um Pastor T- Tizik um <laughs> oh, darn I was trying to say it right and I think I didn't <laughs> sick yeah okay um, but yeah I'm I'm so glad to be here Another fun fact about me is that I really love to travel. So I didn't grow up traveling very much. My family, basically our travel radius was down to uh, Oregon. Like we would go to Portland or up to Vancouver, Canada. And that was like about as far as we would go. And so it wasn't until I was an adult that I discovered the joy of traveling. And some of my favorite trips have really been to go visit uh, former students. So much of my career has been working with international students and um, so now when I travel I usually go to visit them in different countries and see their homes and their families and um, of course trying all the food are there any other foodies here who else loves to eat good food yeah I can tell I like this group of people (laughs) Um, so yeah some of my best memories are eating really good food in people's homes things I've never tried before Um, good memories. So a few years ago, I was on a trip to Indonesia. I went to Bali for five days. It was a very whirlwind trip. Uh, We went to Bali and several nearby islands. And for most of my trip, I was traveling with an Indonesian family. So they just, you know, they had it all dialed in. They showed me where to go, what to eat, what to do. It was very, very lovely. But for the last couple of days of my vacation, I decided to strike off on my own and explore. And if you know me, I'm not somebody who likes to travel by myself. I really like to travel with other people so that I can experience all these things together, talk about it with someone. Um, But I, I just felt in that season like, Polly, you've been really busy with ministry. You're kind of burned out. You need some time just alone. There is something that felt right about having some time to take some peace and quiet by myself. And so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to treat myself and book a treehouse Airbnb in Bali, right? Doesn't that sound like the absolute dream? Like the best thing that you can imagine, like you never would imagine yourself in one. And so, um, Yeah, so I I booked this treehouse. I was really excited to go there. And so I had to travel by myself for a while uh, into Ubud, like an hour away from everyone else. And I took a taxi and uh, I get there and I'm dropped off and they drop me off at the edge of the road because to get to the treehouse, you can't follow the road anymore. You have to walk along this dirt path to get there that's only accessible by foot or motorbike. And you can see it in the picture. Doesn't that look just like the dream right now? It's kind of cold in here. It's cold outside, but imagine you're here, right? In the sunshine, the rice paddies, the beautiful trees. And in the corner of the picture, you can see that's the, that's one of the tree houses, right? Like so, so beautiful. And so you can see it was a really sunny, beautiful day when I was there. And so I walked down the path through the rice paddies, through the forest. I saw some local homes and people are, you know, out doing their, their thing and they look so friendly and could hear all these beautiful sounds of nature, right? It's like everything I drew it would be. The forest was just brimming with life. It was unbelievably peaceful and I knew that I had found a place where I could finally relax, right? So after a full day of exploring the town, which was also a fun story that I won't share here, um, I came back and I was like, okay, I'm ready to go settle into my tree house. And I was full from dinner I had, had tried some good food. I was really brave. I, I don't know about any of you, but I get kind of nervous, like ordering food and going to a restaurant alone in other countries. Like, oh, don't, am I ordering the right thing? Um, but I had had a really good meal. So I was very satisfied. So I was ready to walk back. But by the time that I got to the path, right, to the treehouse, it was now completely dark. And if you have been in the city a long time. You forget what it's like to see things totally dark, right? Uh, yeah, there were no there were no street lights, There were no cars coming by. It was just completely dark. And but luckily, I had been prepared, so I was ready for this moment in my trip. I had packed a headlamp, right? And so I'm I'm a really careful packer. Like I think about it for weeks in advance. I don't know if anyone else says this, but I'll like put things in my bag, take things out of my bag. Like I just want to have like the perfect bag full of things. And so I had packed a headlamp before I left just for this part of the trip. And so I, you know, I pulled out my headlamp, put it on, turned it on, nothing happened, right? My headlamp didn't work. The battery had died. And I think what had happened is that while I was traveling, it had gotten put in the on position and then it had burned out. And so, and I hadn't checked it before I went out for the day. So here I was in the middle of a foreign country in the forest, in the dark, this long path ahead of me and my headlamp had burned out. I had no light. And suddenly everything that had seemed so welcoming and friendly <laughs> during the day seemed full of danger, right? I knew that I wasn't careful on the path, I could fall off and fall into the rice paddies full of water, maybe a motorbike might come whizzing by and collide with me in the dark. And I thought, you know, there could even be wild animals here. Earlier in the day, I had been visiting a monkey park, which was really fun during the day. Um, I was like, are there monkeys out here? And then I had a flashback to even earlier in my trip when we'd been traveling, and we encountered a big snake in the road. And so when I was traveling, like just a few days back, this giant snake, like the size of half the road, had gone by. And I was like, are there snakes like that here? I don't know. I don't know. if The, the kids here, do you guys like snakes? Would you be excited to see that? No, no. I would not be excited (laughs) to see that either. I don't think most of us would. It was cool to see from the car, not what you want to see when you're walking in the dark alone. So, yeah. So in this moment in the darkness, I just realized that everything that had looked so friendly in the daylight looked really, really scary in the dark, right? Who were these neighbors who looked so kind during the day? Who were they? Really? Maybe they were threatening. I felt vulnerable, small and scared in that moment but there was nothing to do right except keep walking forward luckily my phone was almost dead but not quite right so i turned on the flashlight on my phone and with that flashlight i was able to see just enough to take one step at a time along the winding path but before this moment i had never truly appreciated the importance of light So as I was thinking about what to share with you this week, I felt an overwhelming sense of heaviness that we're all carrying as we walk through this pandemic, through the weariness of loss, uncertainty, and division. In the midst of the chaos in our world, I'll admit that I have often felt like I'm walking through the darkness, alone, afraid, and small. And maybe you've been feeling this way too at times. Yet in the midst of the weariness and darkness around us, Jesus is standing before us, offering us light. This morning, as we've been reading from John chapter 8, we see that Jesus makes the claim that he is the light, that he is the light of the world. John makes a thesis statement at the beginning of his gospel in chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. In him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John wrote his gospel for the purpose that we would know Jesus and have life in his name. In John 8, 12, Jesus makes the bold claim, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I was a classics major, so I love always looking back at the Greek to see if there's something something useful from my four years of studying Greek in college, right? So I have to I have to make it useful. So we're gonna look at the Greek here. Uh, the, uh, the 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 Greek for this uh, this I am the light of the world is ego me. Uh, that means I am. You've probably heard that phrase before if you've been studying these I am passages of Jesus, his ego and me statements, I am. Throughout John, we see him make a series of these ego and me statements where he says, I am the way, I am the vine, I am the bread, right? Here, Jesus makes the claim that he is the light of the world. The word for world here is the word cosmos, and that's translated for us as world, but it goes beyond that, right? Because even in English, right, the word cosmos, like cosmology, uh, that we think about, that's beyond just like our planet, but the whole cosmos. Uh, there's a sense of order, arrangement the universe. So Jesus is the light that restores order to our broken world, the arrangement of the universe. And Jesus makes the promise that whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Greek word here for have comes from ako, which is a common Greek word, and it means to have or to hold or to possess. So the one following Jesus will hold the light of life. There's a sense of grasping, holding on to the light. Light is now within our reach being offered to us. For the original hearers of Jesus' message, this image of light would have been even more powerful given the context. This story takes place during the Feast of the Tabernacles in Jerusalem, in which the four lamps of the temple courtyard would be lit and the community would celebrate, remembering God's deliverance in the Exodus, singing and dancing into the night in hope of God's future deliverance. The light from the Temple Mount was said to shine glow all across Jerusalem. So imagine hearing this and seeing this light coming from the Temple and remembering that God would deliver in the future. For the Jews, light symbolized God in action, the pillar of fire leading the Israelites by night. The phrase light of the world could refer to Israel, Jerusalem, the patriarchs, the Messiah, God, famous rabbis, or even the law itself. So for someone well-versed in Hebrew scriptures, the phrase light of the world would hearken back to Isaiah 42.6, in which God promises, I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To make this claim of light, to be light, is presumptuous, right? And the Pharisees are not having it. They argue with Jesus, you are bearing witness to yourself. Your testimony is not true. In the Greek, what we translate as bear witness uh, is the word martyros, the word where we get martyr, which simply means a witness. Jesus argues here that his testimony is true, even without a witness, because he knows his unique origin and destiny. But to support the claim that he is the light of the world, he argues that he has another witness, the father. And that if they actually knew the father as they claim, they would know Jesus as well. To understand Jesus here, we need to understand the context of Jewish law. So if we look back in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 19, we can see that the law of Moses required two witnesses. So in Deuteronomy 19, 15, it says, one witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Later, Jewish interpretation made this even more strict. And Jesus uses the Jewish argument of how much more. If the witness of two people is enough, how much more powerful is the witness of the Father and the Son of God? The root of the problem seems to be that the scribes and Pharisees don't actually know who the Father is. If they knew the Father, they would know Jesus. The passage continues in verse 23. Jesus said to them, "'You are from below. I am from above.'" You are in the world, but I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. They said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Why do I speak to you at all? I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but the one who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted the son of man up, then you will realize that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but I speak these things as the father instructed me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what is pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed him. So the Pharisees flat out asked Jesus, who are you? Isn't that the question? Do you ever wonder if you would have followed Jesus when he was here on earth? I think about this a lot when I'm hearing Bible stories, um, reading things in the Bible, listening to sermons. If there wasn't 2,000 years of history to build on, what would I have thought of Jesus if I had met him in person? Would I have left everything behind to follow him like Peter? Or would I have been curious like Nicodemus, but keeping my faith private? Would I have been fascinated with Jesus when I saw him performing miracles, but gone against him when the public opinion turned? Or would I have outright rejected him as a blasphemer and a false prophet like many of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Like the Pharisees in this story, the question that we're all asking to Jesus is, who are you? Jesus tells them, when you have lifted the Son of Man up, then you will know that I am he. Only when Jesus is crucified will it be clear to the world who he really is, that Jesus really is the Son of God. The phrase lifted up comes from the Septuagint of Isaiah 52, 13, which describes the suffering servant who is to come. So Isaiah 52 verses 13 through 15 says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness, so he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him, for what they were not told they will see, and what they have not heard they will understand. We can't understand who Jesus is without the context of his death on the cross, In the Gospel of Mark, it's at the moment that Jesus takes his last breath and dies on the cross that the Roman centurion makes the statement, surely this man was the Son of God. The veil in the temple is torn, symbolically removing the barrier between humanity and God. And the veil that prevented people from understanding Jesus' true identity as the Son of God was removed. When Jesus is lifted up on the cross, after he's been tortured and disfigured, this is the moment that his true identity is revealed. And powerfully, we get this statement of faith from a Roman, from a Gentile, from a man who had participated in the execution of Jesus. Even suffering and death on the cross could not extinguish the light. In fact, it's when Jesus is lifted up on the cross and returned to glory, That is when the world is able to see who Jesus truly is, that Jesus is the light of the world. Our world today is desperate for light in the darkness. Lately, I've been feeling myself overwhelmed by the darkness in the world, the insurmountable cycles of violence and injustice that we see in our own families, in our neighborhoods, and in the world. I've been feeling the weight of the never-ending pandemic. I'm sure you have too, as friends and family members continue to get sick. Just last week, uh, or two weeks ago, uh, my aunt was admitted to the hospital, struggling to breathe. My best friend keeps sharing with me how her hospital, she's a med-surg nurse, how her hospital is more full than ever with COVID patients, and she's exhausted. The darkness keeps pressing in. Over this last month, my mental health was spiraling. I felt myself snapping at the littlest thing. I was crying daily according to the National Institute of Mental Health, one CDC report of American uh, adults just one year into the pandemic showed that 31% of respondents reported symptoms of anxiety and depression, 13% had started or increased substance use, 26 reported, 26% reported stress-related symptoms, and 11% reported having serious thoughts of suicide in the last 30 days. These numbers were nearly double the rates that the CDC would have expected before the pandemic, and it's continuing to grow. Over the last two years, we've weathered not just a pandemic, but a racial reckoning in the wake of racialized violence. And for many of us, particularly for people of color, the trauma of seeing people who look like us attacked and killed by police or attacked by neighbors, watching these videos has been a heavy, heavy burden to carry. So in the midst of all of this, what does it mean when Jesus says that he is the light of the world? What does it mean for us when Jesus says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will grasp the light of life. Jesus promises us that if we follow him, we can hold on to this light of life. Notice that there's a choice implied here. We have a choice whether we want this light or not. So going back to that night that I was walking in Valley. Uh, there was no reason for me to actually have walked that path in the dark so if we flash back to earlier in the day before i headed into town the host of the airbnb had actually offered me a lantern a big bright sturdy lantern it was a functioning lantern they they knew the path that i would have to walk on and as good hosts they wanted to make sure i could avoid the dangers of the darkness But instead of accepting the offer, I turned it down because I had packed my own headlamp and I figured I was familiar with my headlamp and I carried it all the way from Seattle. I didn't want to waste it. You know, it took up precious space in my backpack. So I I rejected this offer of light. But as we know, my own headlamp failed. The batteries were dead. But all I had had to do was accept the offer of the lantern that would have been offered to me and I would have been safe. I really regret that I didn't do that, except that now it's a good story. Um, But Jesus offers us the same thing. He offers us light. He offers us life. He offers us himself. But we have to accept what he offers. We have to take his offer of light and firmly grasp it. Knowing that Jesus offers us the light doesn't light our paths. Knowing who Jesus is isn't enough. We need to say yes to his invitation to join him. God does not force himself upon us. God is waiting for our consent, our invitation to be the light in our lives. So each of us has a choice today, as we do every day, to decide whether or not to let the light into our lives, whether we want to take hold of this light that's being offered to us. And I know that some of us right now feel like we're living in a very heavy and present darkness. Perhaps for some of us who are exhausted and weary, saying yes to the offer of light might mean letting go of our numbness and taking the great risk to hope that God wants to offer to do something new in our lives. That tomorrow doesn't have to look just like today. I know that it's a risk even to hope when we have experienced great disappointment. Saying yes to Jesus today may mean taking the risk of allowing hope back into your life. If God is full absent in your darkness, It may mean daring to look for God's presence, even in the smallest of ways. It may mean laying down your expectations of how you want to see God show up, your disappointment that he hasn't answered prayers in the way that you wanted. Take a next step. Go back to or start getting mental health counseling. Don't give up. God is trustworthy, even when everything around us is telling us otherwise, even our own numbness and pain when that is telling us otherwise. In some of my darkest times, I have found solace in the writings of Catholic theologian, Henry Nowen, in his inner voice of love, which is his collected personal thoughts during his own dark night of the soul, his reflections have resonated with me. God is inviting us to come back into the light, into the solid place as Nowen puts it. Um, this is a quote from the inner voice of love. And here's what Henry Nowen writes to himself is he's trying to remind himself of what is true. You must believe in the yes that comes back when you ask God, do you love me? Mm -hmm. You must choose this yes, even when you do not experience it. You have to trust the place that is solid. The place where you can say yes to God's love, even when you do not feel it. Right now, you feel nothing except emptiness and the lack of strength to choose. But keep saying, God loves me and God's love is enough. You have to choose the solid place over and over again and return to it after every failure. Grasping the light may mean choosing to say, God loves me and God's love is enough. Choose the solid place over and over again. For others of us, taking hold of this light might mean saying yes to Jesus' call to join him in his mission of reconciliation in the world. When Jesus makes the claim to be the light of the world, he's giving a mission statement. His light is going to impact all corners of our world. There's no part of the world that God is not transforming, where God is not shining his light of justice and truth and healing. The world around us is being remade, recreated by our loving God. And he's inviting us to participate in the healing of the world. If we really believe Jesus when he says that he is the light of the world and the darkness is not able to overcome it, I wonder how that change how we engage in the darkest places in our world today. What would it look like for me and for you to follow Jesus and enter into places of darkness and brokenness and pain in our own context? Some of us here today may be called to step out of our comfort zones and to come alongside those who are suffering to lay down our privilege and power, to come alongside the poor and the outcast. This is what Jesus did, and this is his call for us today. The same call call he's been giving his followers for the last 2,000 years, to follow him. If Jesus is the light of the world, we are called to join him. We too are called to be light in this world, to live as a community in such a way that our neighbors can't help but catch the contagious hope that we have in Jesus Christ. As Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, as we read together earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, he told his followers, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We are called to be a light upon a hill. We are called to be light filling the whole room. And we can do this because Jesus has broken the power of sin. Jesus kept pointing to the cross, right? He said, I told you that you would die in your sins, for you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. And he said, when you have lifted the Son of Man up, then you will realize that I am he. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, he has paid the price for our sins, for all of our sins, for the sins of the world. This changes everything for us as individuals and for all of us as humanity, for all of human history. While we live in the ambiguity of a world where the kingdom of God is here and not yet, we can endure the temporary suffering because we know that sin does not have the final word. We can be courageous because we know the end of the story. In First Peter, we read the words of a fossil Peter near the end of his life, encouraging the diaspora believers not to lose heart, even in the midst of immense persecution and suffering. In 1 Peter 1 verses 3 through 9, he says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. you believe in him are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Because of the work of Jesus on the cross, because of his death and resurrection, we can have a living hope. A light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We have an inheritance, salvation, and because of this, we can withstand suffering and grief we can find inexpressible and glorious joy in the midst of suffering. This hope is what made it possible for the apostles to follow Jesus boldly in a hostile Roman Empire. This hope is what made it possible for the early church to survive pandemics and plagues, to care for the sick and sacrificially put others before themselves. And this is the same hope that we can have today. The kind of hope that lights the darkness, hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. So I leave you today with this. Take hold of the light that Jesus is offering you today. Say yes to hope in Jesus. Take a risk to have that hope once again. Say yes to Jesus' invitation to take a next step, to join him in lighting the darkest corners in our world and accept the joy that comes as we faithfully follow him. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you as we are, in darkness, exhausted, and doubting, and yet we long to believe, give us strength to believe, and grasp onto the truth that you are light, that you are the light that makes it possible to have strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. We say yes to the next step you are offering us, to say yes to following you as you make all things new in our lives and in our world send your Holy Spirit to heal us, restore us, empower us, and to give us vision, and to give us eyes to see the ways you are bringing light into our world of darkness. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.